the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 3, Beyond the Studio East Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Since this podcast is hosted by two young adults, there's a possibility of some adult language. So if there are sensitive ears around you, be sure to pop in some headphones before you listen. This episode is sponsored by Usual Wines, wines for the modern drinker. When Amanda and I lived together, we used to love splitting a bottle of wine while talking art and business in our kitchen. Now that we're on opposite sides of the country, we can't do that anymore, but we still love enjoying a glass together during our podcast planning calls. Usual wines are the perfect size at 6.3 ounces, a heavy pour or about a glass and a half in each bottle. No more pouring wine down the sink when you don't want to finish the bottle. Because of the single serve format and bottle design, Usual is always fresh, no more flat bubbly or stale rosé. Go check out their website at www.usualwines.com and use our discount code BEYOND for $8 off your first order and try your first glass on us. Cheers! Cheers! Before we get started with today's episode and season three, which we are so excited about, I wanted to drop in to give you a little heads up about this episode. So we actually recorded this at the beginning of January, and we thought that we were going to be releasing Beyond the Studio season three in the spring, obviously COVID happened shortly thereafter and everything shifted. So this episode happened in before times at the beginning of the year when we were all talking about 2020 vision. And now here it is coming out in the beginning of August. So obviously a lot has happened since then, but it's still an incredible conversation and we hope you enjoy it. On today's episode, which is the first episode of season three, or at least the first one that we're recording, uh, Nicole and I are interviewing Monique Amy, who is a longtime online friend that I have just been admiring and appreciating for many years, but she is an illustrator and lettering artist based in Boston, and uh, well, let's just get started. Tell us, <laughs> tell us about yourself and your work and what you do and all the things. Sure. Yeah, I'm based in Boston now. I did jump around for a while, but yeah, I guess my career sort of started here. Um, I studied illustration at the Art Institute of Boston, which is now like Leslie Art Plus Design, and I got a job after that as a sign maker um, for Whole Foods. So I did that for about two years, but I was working in a basement and it made me very antsy. Um, (laughs) So then I decided to go to the other side of the planet and I went to Australia and studied lettering for about three months. Where in Australia? I was in Melbourne, which is the best city. I used to live in Perth, but I Um, never made it to Melbourne, but I always heard wonderful things. Oh, I never made it to Perth, but same thing. And I have a, I have a couple of friends yeah. there. Oh, it's it's the most isolated city in the world. It's, it's hard to true. get to. That is true. <laughs> I love Australia so much, though. Um, so what motivated that move? Did you just decide Australia was the place you wanted to be? Or was it for this lettering program specifically? It was for this lettering program. Um, and I also wanted to travel and just be out of my comfort zone. So it seems like a good combo of that. And I, I did it by myself. So that was... A big learning curve as well and I, I just wanted to challenge myself yeah moving across the world is it's a little tricky yeah it's, a little it's bit definitely of a, a challenge, challenge. <laughs> um, but it's a good experience of independence and you're like I can do this if I can move to the other side of the world I could probably handle most things right exactly I was like yeah just do it I think I needed the two years in the basement <laughs> to really make me that antsy to be like, okay, I'm going to travel everywhere. Cause I used to be totally afraid of traveling. Like when I first got to Boston, I was afraid to get on the T, which is ridiculous. Like it's the easiest train system ever. <laughs> so yeah, I needed that push. 
did you start out in a smaller town and so like city life in general was overwhelming or just like travel in general was like that's crazy city stuff I used to think growing up I would never live in a city so I think me as a kid looking at me now would be like what the hell (laughs) yeah I grew up in Connecticut just in like just a town so you did Australia. What was what was after that? Or yeah, what? so studied there for three months, came back. I did come back to Whole Foods. They had saved my job for me. Yes, yeah, so I came back to that. But I was like, oh, my God, I cannot be back in this basement. <laughs> um, so then I, I found a local design studio that also had a retail shop, and they were looking for a junior designer. And I was like, mm, yeah, I could do design. So I sent them a nice email and... They hired me, so I started working for them. It's called Loyal Supply Co. They're still based here in Somerville. Yeah, so then I started working there, and that was really, every day was different. I was doing, I was designing cards for them, helping them with their own client-based projects. Yeah, every day was different. (laughs) And then I was also, during that time, I was saving to go back to Australia because I loved it so much. And my best friend also wanted to go, so we decided to do a one-year working holiday visa in Australia. So we just were saving up for like a year, I think, maybe less than a year. And then went to Australia. Then I really started working odd jobs as well as freelance, but not a ton of freelance at the time. But during this whole time, I'd been like growing my Instagram and trying to be a professional, have a professional online presence. Um, Even if I'm working at a grocery store, no one knows. (laughs) (laughs) As I say, what kinds of odd jobs? Yeah, I basically worked at the equivalent of Whole Foods in Australia. <laughs> but it's cool. I actually, I got the job because I, I saw that they did have a lot of chalkboards. And so I approached it kind of from that angle. I was like, hey, I have this Whole Foods sign making background. I can make your grocery store beautiful. I can also check out stuff and I don't know, put produce where it needs to go. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of how I worked my way into that job. I think that was, oh yeah. And then I also worked in Northern Australia at a hostel. And I worked there so that I could live there for free. Oh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good move. It was a good move, and then also a bunch of cafe jobs. Oh, gotta have the cafe gotta jobs. have those. Are you an artist <laughs> if you don't have that? <laughs> right? Yeah, I feel like all of my <laughs> jobs have just been all the space in between. It's like, and that's when I was working at this cafe or that cafe or that cafe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like if you can do a little latte art, you're good to go. Oh yeah, I was so excited <laughs> to do the latte art. Yeah, well, those flexible jobs, too, can be so important when you are trying to build up a freelance business. Um, Was that a goal that you had in mind? Like, were you, meanwhile, working towards the idea of becoming a full-time artist? Or were you just sort of taking things as they came and seeing how it went? Like, what was your mindset at that time? Definitely working my way towards full-time freelance. I think the past jobs I had had proven that I don't, I just don't enjoy a structured nine to five life or I did like working at the design studio, but even that was a lot of structure for me, which is ridiculous because it's not even that much structure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So yeah, that's something that's been a goal for me or was a goal at that time. And so were you taking on a lot of um, personal projects at the same time or how were you starting to uh, generate freelance work? Yeah, I would do a lot of my own personal kind of passion projects and post them on Instagram And then I did have clients coming to me. When I was in Boston, I had a lot of local clients who saw my Whole Foods sign-making work because I was sharing that as well. I did a bunch of chalkboards for local shops as well. And then in in Australia, definitely, I mean, it didn't help that all of a sudden I was in a new city. No one knew who I was. Um, I had to, you know, connect with local businesses all over again. So I didn't have as much client work when I was in Australia, but I still got some, some work. Yeah, I would say just having a big online presence was helpful to get some clients. Yeah, it sounds like you've also been pretty proactive with reaching out to spaces that you feel like your work would be a good fit for. Would you say that's true? And how are you going about maybe approaching some of these um, businesses locally? Either if I physically am in the shop and I notice something, either I'll leave a business card or a lot of times I have friends who are like, hey, I'm friends with this, you know, local shop owner and they need this kind of work and you'd be perfect. And so like they connect me that way. That's probably word of mouth is probably the biggest when it's local. But also this past year, I started cold emailing potential clients, whether it's a local thing and I'm trying to do like a mural or something, or I don't even know where they're based, but I want to do like digital based work. 
So I'm, I'm not afraid of cold emailing anymore. Yeah, it can be intimidating, but I feel like after you've experienced a certain number of ignored emails or rejection, you're like, I don't care. I can just put it all out yeah, there. Just let it out. Whatever comes back is, is good, and whatever doesn't come back, it's, it's out there anyway. It's fine. Totally. Like, not offended at all. <laughs> What's the most surprising project that has come about as a result of one of those cold emails? Well, sometimes I am not sure if they actually work. I feel like I've gotten work and I don't know exactly the source. The cold emails is still new. I think, oh, I did get one magazine editorial job from it. That might be the only one so far, but I'm still hopeful. I still see the value in it. (laughs) I think you just got to keep going, (laughs) keep emailing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I feel like we've talked about this many, many times and are huge advocates for the cold emails. And honestly, the podcast really hinges on that a lot. We're just, you know, emailing artists that we don't know um, to try and get them on the show. Um, But also even in like my own work as a painter, I've been cold emailing people for like years now. Um, And actually some really recent projects that have come about are a result of some of those, which, you know, it's been like years in the making now where we've been maybe emailing back and forth or, you know, trying to find an opportunity to work together. And it's just now coming to fruition. So um, I definitely believe that, you know, seeding those things over time can can build into some really great opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And you've worked for some pretty big clients at this point, places like Disney, Coca-Cola, Target, um, Chronicle Books. Would you say that some of these things just started to organically snowball as you were taking on more and more freelance work? Or what was sort of the first like big opportunity you had where maybe you had to, you know, level up on some of the the processes that you were using? Um, We always like to ask about some of those early opportunities, because I think there are so many, so many things, whether it's artist contracts or negotiations or things that might be kind of new to have to maybe seek additional support on. And so we're always interested in how artists are handling those kind of larger scale opportunities for the first time. Yeah. What did that look like for you? I had some decent clients that require, I mean, well, all clients should have contracts, but they started, clients started coming to me with contracts ready. Um, So like they kind of knew what was going on already, which I was very thankful for. But those bigger clients are within this last year when, because I signed on with Closer and Closer, which is my who I'm represented by. And so they do all of that work, the contracts, reaching out to clients or putting my name forward with like an existing client they have. So yeah, those bigger names all happened this past year from working with them. Wow. That's great. And that's all within the last year. Yep. (laughs) It's been a crazy year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. It's nice also talking to you on, I mean, we're recording this on January 2nd. So like having this we're already in the mindset of like, what did I do last year? What did oh, I yeah. accomplish? And I saw, I think you had posted one online. And I was like, holy shit, I'm so excited to talk about all these <laughs> things. Like talk about your pumpkins and getting representation yes. and like beautiful lettering on beautiful purses. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like uh, getting representation? What made you decide to do that? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? Kind of what was that process like? I had started, I I think I was in Japan at the time and I wanted to be represented. And so I, I think I reached out to one agency. I sent them an email and then I found Closer and Closer. I had been following them for a while and they were definitely like a dream representation for me. And I had started writing them an email and then I realized that they actually had a form on their website to fill out. But I mean, that's why I need representation. I will not fill out the form. <laughs> So I kind of sat on it for a while. (laughs) But then ironically, like a month later, they emailed me. And it was a slow start at first. Um, I wasn't bringing in a ton of work yet. But it definitely snowballed. And by the end of this year, I I had so much work. I was starting to say no to projects. It's been good. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Are there other things that you felt like um, have shifted since working with them? Like, have you been able to devote more time to the creative side since it sounds like they're handling more of the the client relations? Um, or how would you say that's like shifted the dynamic between, you know, projects, your, your workflow and, and clients that you're working with? Yeah, I definitely am able to focus more on the creative side and not worry about underselling myself because that definitely used to be a problem for me. But they take care of that. Heard. <laughs> yeah, I was the worst. 
and I knew it too, but I still was terrible. <laughs> so yeah, they do that. They take care of all the contracts. I was also really bad with that. But now since we've been using contracts, um, you know, there's been times where I make artwork for one client and then I'm actually able to like sell it again, um, which is something I hadn't done earlier or even realized I could really do. Mm-hmm. So that's been really valuable. And then also um, I get coaching with my agent. So he kind of helps me as well, figure out, you know, my goals, plans for the future, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Man, that's got to be so helpful. It is. It's so helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like just taking on, I mean, having those conversations outside of your head, I think is really yeah. important. And like, even just partnering up with Nicole for the podcast, like having those conversations and getting feedback on things, it has been such a game changer. I bet it's great to have a someone help coach you through some of the more challenging things and push you to do stuff that you may not necessarily push yourself to do or yeah and it's just good to have someone check in on you so we usually will have like a Skype session once a month and so I'll have goals and then my agent will break down the goals for me so they're actually attainable and then I actually like he actually checks in the next month so I actually have to do the things um which is good yeah it's good to be held accountable that external accountability it's so important (laughs) so you've done Quite a bit of traveling, especially lately, it seems. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the other places that you've lived or been to? And I'm also curious because you have this mix of murals and work that you do physically and locally in places, along with uh, working with you know a lot of these larger clients doing digital work, um, which maybe would lend itself to being able to work more remotely, how you've kind of managed your your projects along with this traveling lifestyle. Um, I know that's something that a lot of artists that we talk to are are interested in or aspire to is um, maybe being able to, you know, work from wherever they are and to be able to to travel or to live in other places or other countries. And um, so I'm curious how you've been able to kind of build up your business and um, manage a steady stream of projects while also being located in different places. Yeah. So I lived in Australia for a year after the first three month thing that I was on working holiday and that I did have the mix of, you know, a little bit of freelance, but then also either grocery store or cafe jobs. I also lived in Tokyo for a total of six months. That's the most, yeah, that's the most recent one for me. Um, and that I did have to be, well, I had savings, but I also was fully freelance while I was there. I was just there on two tourist visas, so I was not legally allowed to work there, um, which really puts the pressure on, you know, doing freelance and having some sort of income. But I was able to get enough work, enough remote work, like digital-based stuff, so that I was fine, plus the savings I had. But while I was there, and, and in Australia too, I would try to connect with local shops. It was a lot easier in Australia, because know we are speaking the same language I do not know any Japanese so that was very hard in Tokyo (laughs) Um, but I did the one cold email I did in Tokyo I you know I just wrote it in English and hoped that you know it would be fine because a lot of places do speak English well it depends where you are but yeah they it was like a market and they I saw that they did live art while I was at the market so then I realized like oh I could try emailing them, see if they would have me as a local artist. And so that's how I got to do like a live painting mural event in Japan. Yeah, I just, I, I think wherever I am, I tried to be observant of opportunities around me, like physically around me, while also cold emailing and focusing on digital work too. I like a healthy balance of the two. But actually definitely for this year, I actually just bought paint, painting supplies this morning because I want to do more murals and paint-based work. So I think this year I'm just going to show that I can paint more and put that online and see what happens. I'm definitely a big believer in just showing the work you want to do, and then hopefully you'll get hired. That's usually how I go about it. Yeah, and I mean, you've been doing a lot more painting from what I've seen online, like especially doing your pumpkin project, which is the cutest. Yeah. <laughs> every every pumpkin pun you put up, I'm like, oh, I'm so annoyed I didn't think about that first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amanda's like That's the pun true. master. <laughs> she can appreciate a good pun. <laughs> so bad. I was jealous of your puns because they were so excellent, and I wished that they were my puns. And I was like, whatever. Your your lettering is much better than mine, so they should be done by your hands. I I mean, I talk, They weren't all mine. I definitely talked to other people, and I was like, what do you got for me? Give me your puns. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I do the yeah. same thing. I'm like, if you guys have any like weird plant or food puns, feel free to send them yes. my way. I Always know. welcome. I'll, I'll make you some art about <laughs> it. <laughs> you can have a free print. Yeah, that's a great deal. <laughs> and you do, uh, you do some products as well. Were you doing products while you were traveling? Yes. So I had, I had an online shop before I did all my traveling and it was very much like I had my own inventory of stuff, like just hidden, I don't know, under my mm-hmm. bed, but yep. <laughs> I can't really do that when I'm traveling. Like I, I was literally living out of a suitcase. So I, I started doing print on demand kind of stuff. So that way mm-hmm. I don't have the inventory and, but I can still be selling nice prints and things like that. I did for a while, I was selling enamel pens and that I had left at my parents' house and I totally made my mom ship stuff out. So that, you know, I did a balance of that too. I'm sure she was happy to help. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> she was fine. <laughs> She's like, I guess I'll do this yeah. thing. But yeah, now that I'm back in Boston, I'm settled again. I, I have a balance now of print on demand and going back to actually sourcing my own products. And I definitely like, I like having more control of them and ha- physically having the products in front of me and packaging them. So I'm probably going to lean more towards that this coming year. I would love to talk about your fat bottom lettering book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what made you decide to do that? And could you talk a little bit about that project sure it was a style of lettering I just got into and yeah I did it a lot and I sort of started developing my own I guess rules for making it or like I would set up my grid a certain way and realize that I could just keep using the same grid for whatever art I'm doing and I I just kind of developed my own system for it while of course like referencing sign painting and other lettering things And yeah, I've been wanting to do a zine. I've been wanting to, this past year, I decided I wanted to do more teaching. I've been having people ask me to do workshops and things like that. But if I was going to do workshops, I wanted to actually have a booklet or something that I can share. So I got, I did my first workshop when I was in Australia and that really lit a fire under my butt to, you know, make some kind of zine. So I made one there and it was kind of like the rough, rough idea of it. And then once I was back in Boston, um, the studio I'm in now has a Rizzo printer. So then I Rizzo printed them, um, which is so fun. (laughs) So yeah, now they're like my little babies that I send over everywhere. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we can share images uh, with the episode so people know what we're actually talking about. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) What was it like teaching a workshop or what, what got you into doing that? Yeah. Um, well, my friend has a workshop space in Australia. And so she definitely helped me finally decide to do my first one, which I think it was only two people. So it was really chill. And then back in Boston, the space I'm in now is also can be a workshop space. Yeah. It just, it felt like it was time for me to start teaching and working on that side of my career. Cause I definitely see the value. I see other artists doing workshops and even traveling to do workshops. And it's something mm-hmm. I would like to do and it's also way out of my comfort zone (laughs) I am very much an introvert Mm -hmm. so yeah I guess it was you know the next challenge for me which also this year I taught a semester at the university I used to go to so I've Mm -hmm. done a lot of practice speaking this year and I definitely need a lot more but it's been good good challenge for me yeah it seems like you're also very willing to push yourself outside of your comfort zone and are actively looking for these opportunities that stretch you in different ways and that kind of push you outside of your comfort zone, whether it's through travel or projects or teaching, um, which is amazing. Yeah, I really like pushing myself out of my comfort zone. It's definitely important. I feel like also I quickly agree to these challenges and then I'm in the situation and I'm like, oh my God, previous Monique was so daring and now current Monique has to deal with this. <laughs> That's usually how I think about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you say yes before it the reality sets in of absolutely. everything that has to go into making it happen. I yep. feel like that's that's a, definitely a thing that probably a lot of us do. Like I know I there are many times where I'm like, wow, past past Amanda had a lot of confidence in <laughs> current Amanda and exactly. like current Amanda is afraid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I think in my case, what tends to happen is I'll overcommit myself to things because I think that, oh, on paper, this doesn't look like a lot or this is totally manageable. And then 
future Nicole is upset at past <laughs> Nicole because of how overextended I am. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. I often am like, hmm, that's future Monique's problem. She'll figure it out. <laughs> I always am interested in hearing about people's like overcoming challenges with public speaking because mm. it's something that I did for the first time this last year and I did not realize that it was an anxiety I had until I was there and I was like, holy shit, I'm so sweaty. And I just did a 10-minute talk in five minutes <laughs> and I hope people heard the words yeah. and that I you know, kept them separate so that it could be distinguishable but it's really overwhelming and terrifying to have a bunch of people look at you and be like okay teach me this thing and I'm so curious how you can like rally and get get past that anxiety yeah I mean it stresses me out still I did do a talk this year at my old school and that I think went really well I had a lot of good feedback and the students asked a lot of good questions and like I had a slideshow to sort of help me figure out what I was going to talk about and, you know, kind of guide myself through it. And that I was really happy with. But then I also taught this semester and I do think it went well, but like every, so it was once a week, every Monday night, I would get so stressed. Monday morning, I was like, oh no, it's Monday. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I would just, and of course it was a night class. I had all day to stress about it. So, I mean, it was good and bad. I didn't like that I got so stressed and it definitely happened every single week. Um, But then once I was actually in the class, it was fine. And then after class, I was like, oh, it was great. Like, I don't know why I stressed all day. But yeah, I'm glad it was a consistent challenge for me as opposed to the one-off. It was just a different way to think about it. And consistently, it was like homework for me. Every week I had to prepare myself to speak to students. Yeah, that definitely, I mean, Nicole, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel that way before every podcast interview. I'm like, it's not our first, it won't be our last, but this one's still really scary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which I think it's it's good to feel a little nervous because it means A, you care about what you're doing and, you know, B, it's completely natural to feel that way. And again, no matter how many times you do it, I think it's good to feel like you're kind of stretching yourself a little bit as opposed to you know, that feeling of, oh, I've got this, I'm an expert, you know, I I think it's a sign that you're, you know, you're stepping a little bit outside of your comfort zone, which is a good thing to practice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering if you have any criteria or what you're thinking about when you say yes to a project, Um, because I think something uh, that we hear and that we also encourage, um, especially for a lot of younger artists, is to say yes to, you know, every opportunity just to, like, A, build experience, but also because you never know where those things might lead and you might find yourself, you know, with some really surprising opportunities coming your way. So the, the more things you say yes to, the better. But at a certain point, and you mentioned this earlier, you've, you've had to start saying no to some projects. So I'm curious about maybe the shift between that. Like, what are you thinking about when a project comes up? Um, what causes you to say yes versus, you know, maybe I have to pass on this one? Is it just a matter of, you know, your time and bandwidth? Or are there other things going through your mind? Yeah. I mean, the biggest for me is... It's probably, if I have enough time, um, which at the end of the year, that's when things started getting tighter because I I did say no to projects that I'd normally would have probably said yes to, but I just didn't have the time anymore. But also budget is a big factor. It has to be worth it for me to actually do it. (laughs) And then probably if it aligns with what I'm interested in, every now and then I get emails for something and it doesn't feel on brand for me or uh, those probably aren't the right words, but it just does. I don't connect with it <laughs> at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sometimes happens. And then I do get like DMs on Instagram. People ask me like, oh, can you paint my grandma's name for some like, I don't know, something really small. Like I don't take on small projects mm-hmm. anymore. I am to kind of combat that. I'm trying to add like a custom thing to my shop. So I'll have an item and then I'll then I'll hand paint the grandma's name on something and then ship it out and like yeah. have it very streamlined. I think that could be a good solution for that. Yeah, at least you can keep things on your terms. Yeah, that's kind of where it's at. If it's going to be a hand painted thing or if it's going to feel a little bit annoying, it definitely has to be on my own terms. <laughs> um, uh-huh. yeah. I feel like that's a lesson I've been slowly learning in this last year because I definitely took on some projects I was like why did I say yes to this this is so much harder and less fulfilling (laughs) than the money that 
I said yes to. Yes. So I don't know. It's it's a weird spot to be in, but it's a good it's a good challenge to try to I don't know set these new creative boundaries for yourself as you keep growing. Yeah, like an example of a project that I probably won't take on anymore, but it's something I definitely started doing was uh, wedding invitation envelopes, like doing calligraphy. Oh for yeah. Like hundreds of envelopes. It's never worth it. Yeah, that sounds like a big project. <laughs> it's just, oh it's God. so hard and I'm gonna spell at least five wrong and not notice. Yeah, it's just, I mean, some people are able to do it really well, but that's, that's a project that's not for me, I've learned. I can't even imagine. I mean, I just hand wrote the invitations for my own wedding and did not do anything to make them look nice. I was just like legible. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's exhausting and it takes so long. It takes long. so long. Ugh, yeah. I can't imagine trying to make everything look beautiful on top of it. Yeah. No, it's too much. Yeah. And well, and I heard this on another podcast, I think, but I don't remember the source. But when it came to making decisions about, you know, opportunities that were coming up or something that might sound really good, but maybe not be the right fit for you. For some reason, this just really resonated with me. But when you say yes to a project, you're saying no to something else. So you're having to make a decision around what you're going to make space for in your life. And I think that's actually helped me a lot because I have a hard time saying no to things, especially if, you know, it might seem like an opportunity or, oh, this isn't going to take me very long. It's just a quick side gig. Um, But recognizing that if I'm going to say yes to those things, that it's going to take away from other other things that I could be saying yes to or devoting time to. So just having to like take a step back and get clear around what my long-term goals are and you know what am I really working towards and is this thing in service of that or is it actually um, you know kind of causing me to take a detour. So that's been like a, a helpful shift in you know deciding what to say yes or no to. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. We'd like to give another shout out to our sponsor, Usual Wines. I don't know about you, but as I've been getting older, I've noticed my body is getting a lot more sensitive to the quality of alcohol I'm consuming in addition to the amount. What, you mean that boxed wine we used to share during our art school days isn't really cutting it anymore? Nope, definitely not cutting it anymore. That is basically a guaranteed hangover for me and I just can't. It basically ruins me for like three days and I don't have time to lose three days. Usual wines are made from world-class grapes grown in California ABAs like Napa, Sonoma, Santa Barbara, and are made with minimal intervention, zero sugar, and zero additives. All Usual wines are produced using natural and sustainable grapes that are harvested every fall. Usual doesn't use any chemicals or sugar additives to enhance the flavor or stability of their wine, so they are truly a clean wine brand. And I don't know about you, but I really care about what goes into my body, so I take that kind of stuff very seriously. Usual has a red blend, a rosé, a sparkling white called Brut, and they even have a limited production of Brut Rosé just for the summer. Go check out their website at www.usualwines.com. That's U-S-U-A-L-W-I-N-E-S.com and use our discount code BEYOND for $8 off your first order and try your first glass on us. This is kind of a a change of subject, but I also wanted to ask about what motivates some of your travels, if they are usually a result of opportunities that come up in those places, or if you are deciding that you want to visit a place and then, you know, finding a way to, to generate opportunity in that location. Yeah. When I was in Australia, I wanted to live there. That was just a goal. And then realizing I could do working holiday and, you know, I can have some kind of job while also pursuing freelance. Yeah. So when I was there, I was able to make some income from that. And then when I went to Japan, it was actually because my partner at the time wanted to live in Japan. And I was like, I guess I can do freelance and make it work. But that was a way bigger challenge because like my heart wasn't hundred percent into it. Like I had never been like, Oh, I hope one day I can live in Tokyo. That was never uh-huh. a dream for me, but I'm definitely open to living wherever, or at least at the time I was. And so that was, it was fun. But it was definitely more of a challenge because, yeah, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't a dream at the time. Whereas Australia was something like I was really excited to be there and to really try and find 
things while I was there. And yeah, I, I think those are the two main places I've traveled and lived in. I've done some smaller traveling as well, but just like, you know, a week here and there. And this year I also traveled more for conferences, which was really fun and something I realized that's actually important and I need to do more of. And does Boston feel like home for you or how, what has it been like living and working in Boston? Yeah, it's been funny. When I left Boston um, years ago, I was like, okay, I'm done. Never again. I definitely left feeling like I'm over Boston. This is not for me. But since coming back, it feels really nice and fresh. Um, and I am really excited to be here. I, yeah, I do feel like Boston is home base for me. And my parents are in Connecticut, which is two hours away. And like that's where I grew up. So that's really nice. And I visit pretty often. Yeah, I feel like Boston's home now. It's good. I know a lot of people are like, oh, Boston, why? <laughs> but <laughs> it's good. I feel like it's a city you have to really dig and find the cool stuff and find other artists. Mm. I feel that way about Baltimore a lot. Yeah. Like, from the outside, people are like, oh, Baltimore. <laughs> The Wire, right? And I'm like, it's not like that, but uh, cool. It, I, I like it. It's nice. But when you are able to establish yourself in a local creative community, it's so helpful mm. and it makes such a huge difference. And like, it makes being in that place feel more a part of yourself or like feel yeah. know, like you're more invested in, in being local. Totally. I feel like I was able to come back to this community and like settle right back in and see people that I used to, like, well, I know I still know, but I had like made connections with earlier in my career. And also like on that note, when I was in Australia, I made a big effort to meet the art, the local artists there. So I'd find mm -hmm. people on Instagram and like asked if they would want to meet for coffee. And I made some really good friends that way. And I definitely felt part of that community. And I still feel part of that community. Like I still usually every year get involved with a like Melbourne lettering show, which I'm like, oh my God, I'm an American, but I'm honored to be part of this. Um, yeah. So yeah, I still feel really part of that community. But I think that's where Tokyo was hard because like I did meet, I did go to a lettering meetup and I did meet local artists, but the language barrier was definitely very tricky. Um, so you mentioned doing more conferences and how that's been really beneficial. Can you talk about that a little bit and like what made you decide to do it? What have been some of the benefits? What it's like going to these conferences? Yeah. What conferences, whatever. Um, well, my favorite one is Letter West. It's so good. Last, last year was the first official conference, but it also is a retreat. Um, so I did the retreat two years ago. That is kind of what started it all for me. Um, and the retreat, I actually won a scholarship to go to from Lauren Holm. So I was like, okay, cool, going to Letter West retreat. And then I met a bunch of people there. And a lot of the same people go to Letter West every year, whether it's the retreat or the conference. So now it kind of feels like something I'm going to do every year. And it's, it, feels like, it feels like camp, like summer camp, going to see friends you only see uh -huh. once a year. And like we're all nerdy about the same thing. So that's my favorite one, which I will definitely be going back to this year. And then I also, oh, last year I also did Tokyo Letterheads just because I was in Tokyo when it was happening. And that was really cool. That's a bunch of sign painters that get together and paint. Yeah, so I do all the letter. I try to do any lettering conference. So for conferences, I mean, I've only ever been to Art World Conference, which Nicole and I did last year, and we've got a great relationship with them. I don't know, like, I assume that generally conferences have kind of the same vibe of lectures and then, you know, discussions and whatnot, yeah. but uh, what's it like going there and, like, making friends there and trying to figure out what kind of, I don't know, I guess curate your experience mm. to get out of it what you want to. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're introverted <laughs> and uh you're like I've never done this before how do I make friends and what do I need to learn yep um well it definitely helped that I did the retreat the year before I went to the letter west conference because as soon as I got there like I was messaging friends and you know going out to dinner and like it, I already kind of had a group of people I can connect with that being said that I did I was really excited to meet Mary Kate McDevitt she's a lettering artist and she's someone that I was really excited like I was into her work when I first started getting into lettering. And so I, t I had to work up the courage the whole conference to talk to her, which is really silly. Um, also, we're represented by, by Closer and Closer together now. So, like, I had something to oh. talk to her about. But still, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, eventually I talked to her. But I would say I didn't. I mostly talked to my friends there. 
I probably should have tried talking to more people. I think we were talking with another artist during season two for Beyond the Studio West Coast edition. You know, it was Wendy Chang. She was describing the first time that she met, oh my gosh, I'm gonna blank on the artist's name. One of her personal heroes who she'd, you know, been trying to find an opportunity to connect with. And she could have just sent her a cold email, but, or maybe she did, but um, as far as like meeting her in person, she traveled out to a workshop that she was doing, I think. But I feel like a conference would be a similar setting where, um, you know, these are people who are, are there because they want to meet people and because they're, you know, there's a space um, that is allowing for those kinds of connections to happen. So if you're trying to connect with your heroes or there are artists that you really want to meet, um, looking for those, you know, already existing opportunities where you might be able to make that face-to-face connection, like a conference could be a perfect opportunity to, to initiate a relationship. So I liked what she said about kind of like meeting them on their own terms when they're kind of like creating the space for it to happen and you know not only is it a great educational opportunity but a conference can be a way to to make that really valuable in-person connection for the first time yeah I feel like yeah when you're at a conference everyone's kind of ready to to mingle and be open to these conversations yeah yeah it's really nice it's special yeah but also a gentle reminder to everyone that if you're feeling nervous about meeting people you're not oh yeah totally Probably everyone has some kind of social anxiety at those things where they're like, I'm here to make friends, but also I don't want to talk to anybody, nope. but I want everyone to talk to me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just, it's just all hard. It is hard. Yep. So you've also been doing, I'm just jumping all over the place. Uh, you've been doing more lettering in person things like lettering onto coach bags and whatnot. Can you talk a little bit? about that and sort of what that's been like? Yeah. Well, I feel like earlier in my career, I was doing more physical work, like chalkboards and, you know, when I was at Whole Foods. And then I totally switched to mostly digital. And now I'm like, wait, I do like doing physical work. So the coach job came came through my representation. Like my agent was kind of like, oh, do you think you can do that? And I was like, yep, sounds great. I'll figure it out. I've done, I've always kind of done like physical painting work. So I I knew my skills were there. It's just a little bit high risk when it's a coach bag. So I usually don't think about it being like $300 I'm painting on. (laughs) Yeah. It was a lot easier when it's like just pumpkins, which is why that series was so fun. Yeah, I guess I already had the background. It just seemed like my work had switched to, to so much digital work that I think it was forgotten that I can still physically paint stuff. And I definitely want to show more of that this year. And, and I'm hoping to do more murals and like bigger, bigger scale work. Yeah. Well, you're, you're putting it out there and hopefully it will come back. Yeah. Got to put it out there. <laughs> I feel like that's half of the reason why Nicole and I record these conversations is one, to just be able to reference back and actually take in the things that we're learning. But oh, I feel like there's so much to putting out what you want. And oh, yeah putting it into words, especially when I don't know who listens to our podcast, but maybe someone's like, you know what? I got a wall for Monique. Let me hit her up. Oh, yes, please. I don't know. All the businesses listening, I will paint your wall. Yes. All the businesses listening, you have a wall and you want some fat bottom letters. Oh, yeah. Or any type. Beautiful. (laughs) Well, yeah. And there is something really powerful about articulating what you want and just verbalizing that. And I feel like we've seen that also come up in so many other artist stories. Um, And even in yours, when you mentioned having written this letter to Closer and Closer that you were sitting on only for a month later to have them reach out to you. um, You know, that could be a coincidence, but I also feel like there is something powerful about like readying yourself and you know you're manifesting these opportunities along yeah, the way. Yeah I think it's important to do that. Yesterday also I redid my website and I kind of purged old work. I think that's important too is to constantly figure out the direction you want to go. I really like doing that at the beginning of every year like figuring out the direction I want to go in. Yeah since we're in this period of like year-end reviews and this being the start of the new year It feels kind of appropriate to ask, but I wondered if we could zoom out a little bit too and hear a little bit, um, since we've talked about, you know, all these different projects you've been working on, maybe throughout this last year to give kind of a bird's eye view of these different streams of income you have coming in. Um, Like what's the breakdown, would you say, between digital projects or client work that you're taking on versus um, like physical painting or murals along with the products that you're selling? 
um, if you're kind of looking at your year as a whole, maybe this last year, and then maybe how you are hoping to shift that going into to 2020? Yeah, this year was definitely mostly digital client work, like definitely significantly the bulk of it with a little bit of that being client, I guess, like on-site work. So pretty much just coach. And then products, this is probably the best year I had with products with having my fat bottom lettering zine. Um, People got really into that. And then I also like launched a calendar this year that people I'm like almost sold out with. So that's been pretty good, but it's still probably like, like maybe it'll pay for rent sometimes. It's not like anything. It's not livable, the products. It's just like a nice Mm -hmm. little bonus. Yeah. And then teaching and doing workshops was also like a small percentage, but definitely like the full-time freelance livable aspect was the digital client work for this year. And then, yeah, next year I would like to, I want to work more on products um, and teach more. I still really like the digital aspect, so I want to keep that strong, but maybe focus on like bigger projects and not taking on smaller projects anymore. Oh yeah. And also just painting more, doing murals, things like that. This is another, another segue. And going back because you had mentioned doing um some series and I feel like it's been a theme on some of the interviews that we've done for the show where like you do a series as a creative challenge and it ends up being so much more beneficial in the long run and I've I mean I've seen your your girl crush series and it's so beautiful and like that turned into a beautiful calendar and like I'd love to hear your thoughts on challenge you know personal creative challenges to work on work on your work. (laughs) Yeah, that series was a real game changer for me because I could see, well, I made it, so it was every Wednesday. It was my Womb Crush Wednesday thing. So people knew when to expect it as well, which I think was important. Yeah, because I definitely had, you know, towards the end, I skipped some Wednesdays and I could tell people were like, oh no, there's no Womb Crush Wednesday. Um, So, I mean, it was, I felt bad, but it was- There's no women to crush on this Wednesday. (laughs) I felt bad, but it was also like, oh, cool. People actually like know that this is a thing. Yeah, your Um, audience keeping you accountable. Yeah, I was like, wow, cool. It was really great because I ended up having probably close to 18 illustrations by the time I got burnt out. (laughs) So yeah, I had a lot to pick from to then make my own calendar. But then also I had a lot of people- or not a lot, but I had some client work come from it. So whether some clients just referenced images from that series and wanted portraits done, because I think a big part of that series showed that I could draw people. So then I started getting more work that involved me drawing people. But then also some, some clients reached out and wanted to license some of the images. So that happened as well. So that was a really beneficial series. And when I started it, Yeah, I wanted to show that I could draw people. It was a subject I was interested in. And I I had tried doing series in the past. Like there's the 36 days of lettering is a thing. I've tried doing that. I've I think the farthest I've ever gotten was like a G. So but yeah, I I don't know. I could never keep up with it, but I figured like maybe if I have it on my own terms, my own subject, then I could get into it. And it definitely helps just making my own series. And so that was the first one and then this fall I got, I was really excited to be back in Boston and doing super New England fall things. And that's kind of where the pumpkin painting series came in. And that was just really playful. It was a way for me to not do client work. I was not trying to make any money from it. I was just having fun. And yeah, people still got really into it. And also it could show that I could paint on things. So it was still beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. This was a totally selfish question for me (laughs) because I'm like trying to to do my first little challenge I'm like so you got any tips or tricks on it yeah have it something that you can consistently get into and you're not going to be bored of mine is super vague I'm just trying to practice lettering all of January because I generally do like one style of lettering and it's basically just a slightly bolder version of my handwriting so I'm like maybe I should try working on some words yeah and the the prompt is real vague though it's just whatever words I feel like it usually ends up being like oh there's this like today I posted one from a podcast that I listen to all the time and they have this really cute sign off so I was like oh, I'll, I'll letter their sign off oh, or yeah. like I'll letter these random lyrics or whatever but um, I'm always curious about these creative challenges because I think it's a good exercise of course but it's also a nice sort of portfolio boost of like here's a bunch of new images that I've been working on they all kind of go together and it's at least for the next month going to make my Instagram feed look consistent briefly yeah 
Yeah, totally. And I think, I mean, yeah, if you do that, then the people who listen to that podcast would probably get really, be really excited about it. I think that was another aspect too. Like I could definitely notice when I did a portrait of someone currently popular, it would blow up way more. So if I did like Lizzo, that was a like home run. And then I did 11 from Stranger Things and that was a big one. So I think doing current things too, like seeing what people are into right now is helpful. And the pumpkin thing, you know, that was during fall. It's always interesting talking to artists so who are both, who have such a substantial online presence or whose work is primarily digital or remote versus those that are very rooted in the locality of a place or where they live. And um, I think in your case, it seems like you have a great balance between those two things. And so it's been interesting to hear about how you've been able to, to you know, establish a, a real creative community where you are, um, but also find opportunities no matter where you're traveling. Yeah, I think from working in different places, like I think my style stays the same wherever I am, but it's just maybe the subject, like the content I'm drawing based on location. Like definitely when I was living in Japan, I did, you know, I drew ramen or like I tried to do, I think I did like a fish market illustration, which I probably wouldn't have done if I was living in Boston. So things like that would happen. I think now that I'm back in Boston, the only difference is I chug Dunkin' Donuts iced coffees all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we used to live right next door to a Dunkin' Donuts in Baltimore, uh, the apartment that Amanda and I shared for a couple of years. Well, Amanda, longer. I only lived there for the last maybe year and a half um, that you were there. Yeah, I could see into the shop from my bathroom. Mm. I'd be like, oh, there's no line. Go get a bagel. Yes. (laughs) It was dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, also, we definitely used their Wi-Fi because it was better than ours. Oh, my God, I love that. But also terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, all right, I'll just chill in the bathroom. I've got great service here. God, that was... Our apartment was definitely running on Duncan. (laughs) So perfect. (laughs) Yes, that that was that Biddle Street Street apartment. It was cold, it was terrible, but it was running on Duncan. That sounds really beautiful. It was. That makes me so happy to know that. So now that you're based primarily in Boston, would you say that you have any usual routines or processes, like things that help you either get in the mindset or ways that you're managing your workflow, whether they're project management tools or just a a way that you're kind of breaking up your time throughout the week? Usually in the morning is when I will do emails or kind of just figure out what I need to do for the day. I like keeping my schedule pretty loose. So like I don't usually set an alarm and I just kind of get up whenever, but it's usually like before nine. Yeah, doing emails. Um, I use Asana to project manage, or I should say Close and Closer uses that. But I found it really helpful. This is the first year I used it, and it makes so much more sense. <laughs> it's just nice to see you have little project boards. And so this was the first year, too, I had more complicated projects that involved a lot of illustrations for one project. So it's nice to have you know, project boards and kind of organize everything in a visual way. Yeah, so I use that a lot. And then, yeah, some mornings are for emails. And then the rest of the day, I just figure out what I need to do, whether it's like post office, running errands, or sitting down and doing work. Yeah, that's usually it. Every day is a little bit different. I don't keep like a very strict schedule. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty similar to how I'm how I'm doing my, my time as well. Yeah. It's always validating because I think when you – work for yourself it can get you just in this echo chamber of your own experiences and your own routine and your own habits and it can be a little disorienting because you're like I don't really know what is normal anymore because this (laughs) is what's becoming my normal and I don't know when generally people get up or when they do their grocery shopping or you know how they incorporate exercise (laughs) (laughs) yeah well yeah I never know what day it is and I have this new joke where I'm like oh every day is Friday now and I'm working in a studio now so that, or like I have studio mates. They're actually who I worked with when I briefly worked at the design studio when I came back from Australia. But yeah, that helps having studio mates because they're working next to me and I feel like, okay, we're all doing our work now. I think that helps a lot. And also I can ask them questions and get feedback and vice versa. But then also we have this thing probably around like three or four o'clock. It's like, they're like, okay, time to fuck around. <laughs> and just like work stops and we just, I don't know, it's, it, we have fun too here in the studio. It's a nice balance. Are they all illustrators or designers? Uh, designers. 
Oh, I am as an architect in here, but I don't know him very well. He's never here. Um, do you have you always kind of preferred working in a shared workspace, or is this uh, a newer development? This is a newer development. Yeah, I had a studio briefly in Connecticut, and that was just like my own private studio. Um, but I think I went a little stir crazy in there, so I like this situation a lot more. It's a little bit more social. Yeah, I imagine it's great being able to like talk to people throughout your day <laughs> when you need to. I mean, I talk to the cat, but she's oh yeah, not helpful. She has horrible feedback. <laughs> she just sits on it. She's very like, critical. What do you think of this piece? And she's like, I can loaf on it, so it sounds good. <laughs> I can loaf on it. That's so good. <laughs> Well, you mentioned using Asana for project management. Um, are there any other tools or resources um, that you use that you have found really helped on the business end of your creative work? We are obviously a big fan of podcasts, but they could be books, other apps or tools, or even just a paper planner. <laughs> what would you find um, has been most helpful for you? Well, I do use QuickBooks. That also is something I like doing in the morning and like categorizing expenses and things like that. Uh, I listen to some podcasts, but I don't listen to a ton. I use Skillshare sometimes if I'm trying to learn new things. I also have been teaching myself animation in the past year or so, so learning how to do After Effects. And for that, I usually will look at Skillshare or just YouTube to learn how mm -hmm. to do that. But yeah, I think Skillshare is a really good resource for whatever you want to learn that's creative. Oh, and then I think there's this like motion design school too. I've I learned a little bit from as well. What else? There's plenty of books out there too. I have a resources sticky. <laughs> oh, perfect. What do I got here? Oh yeah, you're a badass at making money. That's a good book. Oh, um, Pander Design Co. They have a webinar for murals and how to price them and things like that. Oh yeah, and then Lauren Holm is another good one just for doing passion projects. Yeah, those are all some of my favorites. I wish I would have known about some of those mural pricing tools. Um, I used to do a lot of hand-painted murals, too. Um, I studied a little bit of illustration, but I'm, I'm primarily a painter. Um, so when I was living in Baltimore, we did a lot of commercial mural painting. But at the time, we, we couldn't really find a lot around how to price out projects. And so it was just a lot of trial and error. And I've, I've actually been hearing a lot about the first book that you mentioned lately, um, You Are a Badass at Making Money. Can you tell us a little more about that? Because I'm, I'm curious since I've seen so many friends reading it lately. Yeah, that one I liked. I, well, I don't know if I ever actually finished it because I'm really bad at reading things. But I did find it really beneficial just because it was less about, you know, finance and like technical stuff and more about a mindset. Like, I, for example, I think one of the things was was to give away money every day, which you would think would be the opposite. But I don't know, just kind of putting yourself in a mindset like, I'm stable. I can definitely tip this person. I can like, yeah, just not having the mindset that you need to save everything and like squirrel away stuff, but rather like be more open and like seeing opportunities everywhere. Yeah, definitely more of a mindset. Let's see. Oh, and uh, most importantly, where can people find your work online or in person? I have a website, moniqueamy.com. Amy is A-I-M-E-E, -E, which... Is confusing sometimes. And then same thing for Instagram, Monique Amy, Mosan, Dribble, Behance, Pinterest, whatever. It's all Monique Amy. And we'll have links to everything uh, along with your episode. That way people can just click right onto it. Oh, awesome. And do you have any other, like, is there anything specific that you wanted to share or any advice that you would want to give or final words? I would just say, you know, make, make the work you want to make. Um, that you want to be hired for and put it out into the world. I think that's really, really valuable. And if you consistently do that, you'll be in a good spot. Oh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and for sharing your story. And it was nice to actually like talk, talk and not just type talk online periodically. <laughs> yeah, we've been Instagram fr friends for a while. So this is cool. Yeah, I think, I think you were one of the first artists that I didn't actually know that I started following online and was like, this person is my online friend. Yeah, it's so nice. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so like a casual art trade that happened probably like at least five years ago, maybe more like oh, yeah. seven or eight years ago. Wow. Um, yeah. Like early oh, Instagram. Long. Yeah, we traded some, some goodies and I don't, they're around here somewhere. Same. <laughs> 
Well, cheers to Instagram friends becoming real friends in 2020. Yeah. It's so yeah, nice. Yeah, if I'm ever in Boston, I'll hit you up. And if you're ever in Baltimore, please hit me up. Yes, please. Will do. Yeah, Monique, thank you again. Thanks. It was so nice to talk. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. getting noisy here um yeah I I don't know what's happening um it's all good my heater's going on in the background so there could be sounds coming from my end um was oh yeah